You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 12. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. This is episode 12, and I'm coming to you live from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. My name is Mark Holthy, and I'm the host. To those who are just joining for the first time, welcome. To those who have been faithful and in listening to this podcast over the last few months, it's been very sporadic, and I'd like to apologize for it, but I can't. It's interesting when you start to do this social media thing. Um, originally, I didn't anticipate it being anything more than an opportunity to share some insight and knowledge in a fun environment. I like this podcasting media. It's a little bit more personal than a blog. But the result was it created a lot more work for me in my immigration practice. So I simply haven't had as much time. So I'm at kind of a critical mass situation with my office. Do I hire another lawyer to join us? or another um, you know, immigration consultant to help ease the burden on the actual application side so I can keep doing this? Or do I just not release as many podcasts? And so ultimately over the last little while, that has been the case. I have not been as diligent, but this one will be definitely worth the wait. Uh, episode 12 is actually a continuation of a blog that I that I wrote and uh, published on the Canadian Immigration Podcast website just yesterday. And that blog was all about the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. Now, I shouldn't say all about it. It was entitled uh, Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program, How Did We Get Here? What Every Temporary Foreign Worker Must Know Before Applying. This blog pretty much lays the foundation for what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, in that blog, I covered a brief history of how the AINP has been somewhat of a love-hate relationship with temporary foreign workers and their legal counsel. I can speak from my perspective that it truly has been a love-hate. It has been extremely volatile. It's had so many ups and downs over the last 10 years. And in that blog, I uh, take you through some of the history. And like anything, we learn from the history. The history, if we learn from it properly, can help to shape our future. So when I refer to the fact that every temporary foreign worker worker must know these things about it before they choose to rely on the AINP, I am dead serious. So go to the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website and uh, check out that blog. I'd love to hear your comments and get a feel for what you thought of uh, my historical ramblings about the AINP, but I think it will be a good read and will give you some insight on whether or not you can truly rely on the AINP into the future. Well, in this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, I'm going to be sharing some insight on where the AINP is headed for this year. And basically what, like I said, every temporary foreign worker needs to know before risking their future in Canada on a very volatile 
program. Uh, now, before I get to this episode and the meat of this episode, I'd like to share a few experiences I had attending the Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Conference in Vancouver, BC this past weekend. To sum it up, it was awesome. It was fantastic. Now, I had to bow out a little bit early on Saturday, um, kind of midday, to get back to Calgary to meet my daughter who was returning uh, from her first semester of college down in the U.S. And my wife and I had to meet her at the airport in Calgary and then drive back home to our home in Lethbridge. But um, the time that I spent there was fantastic. And I had the opportunity to speak on the panel that covered express entry, which was really a significant honor. And I appreciated the, uh, the uh, extended invitation from the organizing committee uh, for the national conference that uh, they felt I had a few things to offer in uh, the, the context of this the crazy express entry process. Um, but it was wonderful. I had an opportunity to speak with some very good friends. Uh, a good friend, Marina Sadai, she's an immigration lawyer in British Columbia, actually the secretary of our National Immigration Executive this year. I had a chance to work with her, and she did a lot of fantastic work on the presentation, the PowerPoint, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of our, um, uh, our scenarios that we did uh, to help teach the lawyers that were attending those sessions, and it was very well attended. We had a very full, full room of probably 200 or more lawyers who were uh, trying to glean some little nuggets from what we were trying to share. Uh, Marina practices with Joshua Son, who's our past uh, one of our past chairs of our national section, and and they're both just awesome lawyers, great friends, and I'd encourage you to check out their uh, their um, their firm website uh, at immigrationcitizenshiplaw.com. And if you are in need of some legal services out there in in BC, uh, by all means, I would highly recommend you you reach out to them. They're great. Um, a good friend, another good friend, Kevin Zemp in Calgary, was our moderator for the session. And uh, he practices immigration law, like I said, in Calgary. And he himself is one of the past chairs of our national immigration law section. Kevin's a great friend, and he really uh, added a lot and contributed to the panel. And his knowledge just being there, he's kind of one of those um, gurus that, that everybody looks up to, especially here in Alberta. And you can find Kevin at zemplaw.com. That's Z-E-M-P-L-A-W.com. So check him out. In addition to my colleagues, we had the pleasure of rubbing shoulders with some of the, uh, um, the IRCC, Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada um, uh, executive, uh, the folks who run the programs. Uh, one was John Atchison. He's the assistant director uh, over permanent resident program delivery. So he's kind of the operation guy. And he is the one that's responsible for that awful portal. Hopefully he's not listening to this, but oh my goodness, I've never had such a nightmarish experience over the last year um, with, uh, with any immigration program um, as I have with Express Entry and navigating the Express Entry portal. Well, anyways, he's the one that we tend to complain to if their things aren't going well. And although he's not the... Uh, the technician making the changes when there's technical glitches, you know, he is the guy that oversees that. And so John was on our panel and he's a great guy. He was very transparent, very, uh, um, you know, very open to, you know, the, the thoughts and, and comments that us as legal counsel gave and also very transparent with some of the shortcomings of the program. Um, in addition to John, we also had uh, Philippe, uh, 
Tomo Javari, and I hope I pronounced his name correct, um, but he's the director over express entry policy. So he's the guy that determines exactly how, you know, from a 10,000 foot level, the express entry program is going to be delivered. And, uh, you know, we had some discussions about some of the changes that uh, hopefully could occur to the program, you know, including giving additional CRS points for, uh, for candidates with family in Canada, uh, even maybe for international students, giving them some points for um, studying at a Canadian institution. But by no means is that law or even necessarily on the immediate radar, but those are some of the things we talked about. So, um, yeah, from the standpoint of being able to go there and speak and, and uh, present to my peers and people that I respect and, and really look up to, it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, but the real highlight was actually uh, when our minister, John McCallum, um, the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, spoke to, our, spoke to us over lunch. And uh, I must admit that he shared a ton of insight on where his mind is in terms of where immigration needs to go in this country. And I can tell you, being from Alberta, as a staunch conservative, 100% true and blue, um, I must admit that I've felt quite conflicted uh, over the last little while because I actually like Mr. Minister McCallum. You know, from uh, the perspective of an, of an immigration lawyer, he's almost like a rock star. He tells us exactly the things that we've been begging for, you know, over the last number of years. He... He's actually listening to us and, uh, you know, respecting our, our thoughts and, and taking into consideration our suggestions. And so I have to definitely cover, you know, the, the uh, insight that I gleaned from Minister McCallum in, our, in that little presentation, that little speech he gave to us during our lunch break um, on the Friday. Uh, in an upcoming blog or podcast, I'm going to do that. Um, you know, I don't know which direction I'm going to go, whether it'll be the podcast or, or like this, and, and I can just tell you about it, or whether I'll put it into a little bit more uh, formalized blog post. But maybe you can just let me know what you think. Um, if, you, if you think it'd be worthwhile to, uh, to just have a podcast about that uh, message from Minister McCallum, or whether a blog will suffice, I'd love to hear what you think and which direction you think I should go. Um, at the end of the day, during that conference, when I wasn't speaking, I was tweeting like mad. So if you um, want to catch a little snapshot, a little back-in-time uh, look at, um, at what we've got, uh, basically at the, at the various presentations that I attended, um, I tweeted a lot of the, the high points, right? You know, uh, a live blow-by-blow -blow I gave... Uh, of all of the sessions that I attended. So if you want to check out those uh, tweets and get some of those highlights, uh, just connect with me uh, via Twitter. And, uh, you know, my handle is at Mark Holthe, M-A-R-K-H-O-L-T-H-E. And you can just go back through my feeds and see what I tweeted. But there's, uh, I tried to pull out some of the high points of, of all of the uh, presentations that I attended. So if you want to go back and check out, you know, what I thought was important, and hopefully other people did too, I was trying to tweet it out live to all of my other colleagues who, um, who were unable to attend the conference at that time. So eventually, I'm going to get that blog or podcast out covering those topics. Um, you can also connect with me you know, through a variety of the social media platforms that I frequent, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. 
Uh, or you can track me down on my firm website, ht-llp.com, or the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. So that's canadianimmigrationpodcast.com. All right, enough of that. Let's get into the meat of uh, this episode 12 of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be giving you some insights that I gleaned from uh, the Managing Director, Brad Trefan, of the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. And uh, this past month, I had the opportunity to attend a lunch presentation that Brad gave to our Canadian Bar Association's local immigration section in Calgary. I'm going to share a few highlights from his presentation, and then at the end of this blog, I'm going to share just a few thoughts, maybe on uh, you know what what this might mean for those seeking to apply for permanent resident status in Canada. And in all honesty, I'm probably you know maybe rather than covering that off at the end, uh, maybe as I go through my top ten things that Brad shared with us, my list of top ten you know upcoming things to be aware of for 2016. Um, I'll provide a little bit of insight in how it will impact on you um, as a temporary foreign worker in Alberta looking to explore the possibility of using the AINP to secure PR status for yourself. All right, so let's just go through these top 10 uh, topics, I guess, or areas that were covered by uh, by Brad Trefan, the managing director of the AINP. You know, one day it would be awesome to have him on this podcast. And maybe if enough people listen to this, we may actually get to that level. And uh, that would be awesome. Or even, <clears throat> excuse me, even Minister McCallum. That would be fantastic. But at this stage, we're just a lowly podcast with a lonely, well, not lonely, but I'm alone right now, Canadian immigration lawyer uh, sending this out to the masses from his office in uh, the beautiful province of Alberta in the city of Lethbridge. All right, number one, inventories. Okay, what is going on with the AINP? We know that the program had ballooned to over 9,000 applications stuck in the queue in August 2015 when the program was suspended. So this number, since that suspension, was reduced down to 4,700 by the time the program was reopened in January of this year. In fact, January 27th, 2016. Well, as of March 23rd, when we had the meeting with, uh, with Brad, the current application quota was sitting at about 6,000 applications. All right? So every day, the AINP receives about 40 new applications. And so keep that in mind. So what does that mean? What's the takeaway? Well, the reality is, if 9,000 was the point at which the program shut down, you can do the math. It's very likely that the program will be suspended again as the applications continue to flood into the program. So if 9,000 was the trigger for suspending the program last year, you can, bet, you can be almost certain that uh, this number will be probably the tipping point. Now, in the show notes, I'll provide you with a link to the, uh, the AINP website where you can track the processing of these applications, the inventory, how many are, are in there. But I'll give you a little snapshot as, uh, as we go forward here so that um, you'll get an idea of where things are at. Well, with the application processing and the inventory that's being, you know, uh, that's being increasing with the AINP, it's important to understand that it's not a first-in, first-out process across all the streams. 
So it doesn't matter who submits their application first. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're going to be processed before someone who submits it after them. Instead of lumping all the candidates into the same pool and processing on that basis, they have approximately 20 officers that are spread out among the various industry streams. Well, you can imagine that this drastically affects the processing times for different application streams. So if the officers are spread out amongst the streams, then the reality is uh, some of those streams that have fewer people in them are going to have their applications processed a lot quicker than some that are not. And, you know, if a particular stream has no applications, they processed all the way down to current, then those officers will shift to other streams. However, it's important to note that it's not a first in, first out, nor is it uh, necessarily th the case that um, one particular stream is favored. It's just that the officers are spread out evenly. So here's a little breakdown I'm going to give you uh, with respect to the volume. And like I said, you can go on the AINP website and pull up this data that will change every so often. But there's a number of streams. And uh, in fact, there's, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten particular streams that, they're, that are broken down into employer-driven and strategic recruitment streams. And I don't want to bore you with all the details, but here's the reality. Food and beverage processing, there's just over 90 applications. So what does that mean? If you were in that pilot, well, it's not a pilot anymore, uh, but the food and beverage processing industry, if you were one of those individuals that has submitted an application, and this is a semi-skill category, if you've submitted it before February 9th to the 10th, of 2016, so just a couple months ago, you're probably going to have your application processed anytime now. So they are working on applications that were submitted February between February 9th and 10th, 2016. Food service industry pilots, so that's your McDonald's workers, those type, although McDonald's with their decision not to have too many foreign workers anymore, I'm sure this pilot program is, is uh, uh, McDonald's is not a large uh, subscriber, at least their employees, to the food service pilot. But there's right now over 110. And very similar to food and beverage processing, you're looking at applications being processed that were submitted just in February of this year. Hotel and lodging, February 2016. There's 80 applications. Um, you look at manufacturing industry. So all of these semi-skill categories, you can see the numbers are really low. February the 4th. So February, February, February of this year, they're working on all of those semi-skilled applications. Trucking industry, there's only, you know, there's only 80 applications in the queue. Um, but then the big issue, and this is where the backlog hits, international graduate category, there are over 2,550 applications. So what does that mean? Well, they're not terribly helpful. But what the AINP says is, the applications submitted between June 2nd and February the 10th, 2016, are being processed. Okay, well, what does that mean? If they're working on applications that are submitted basically within over a year and a half spread, well, well are they working on applications that are submitted on February the 10th? Well, what does that mean? While some are being, you know, are languishing and have been languishing since June the 2nd, well, without getting into too much detail, and I'll get to it in a little bit, Certain occupation types, you know, certain actual occupations themselves are oversubscribed. And so the AINP doesn't believe in, um, you know, treating uh, or giving special treatment to any one particular occupation. But with that being said, 
um, occupations that are dominating the nominations, the, the program has made a conscious decision um, not to process those or, or give favor to any one occupation. So, you know, so, so occupations like food service supervisors, and I'll get to this in a little bit, um, because there are so many people applying under those categories, the province says, okay, look, we don't want to have 2,000 of our nominations and the province is able to nominate, or the AINP is able to nominate about 5,500. Uh, they're, they're able to extend 5,500 nominations each year. And so they don't want 2,000 of them or 50% made up from one occupation. So that is why under the international graduate category, you have a variation between um, you know, some, some applications that were submitted back in June of 2014 that are still not processed well, more than likely, you fall into the food service super supervisor category. And so um, that's why there's a variation between, uh, you know, applications that, that uh, within a specific stream, why there's such a, a wide range of, um, app, you know, uh, a wide time range in, in which these applications are being looked at. So if you're applying under the international graduate category and you're in an occupation that really is quite unique or rare, or one that the province of Alberta really needs, then you could be submitting your application in February of this year and actually see it being processed before someone who submitted it in June of 2014. Okay, I think I beat that one to death. You get it. Um, there's, there's priorities given to certain industries. Not priorities, but it all depends on the number of applications. So if there's fewer applications in your industry, fewer applications in your occupation, then there's a good chance you're going to be processed ahead of others that have more. In addition to the international graduate category, which I said there's 2,550 applications right now in the queue, you can go to the skilled worker category, which covers all skilled workers. Well, you've got over 2,000 applications there. So very similar to the international graduate category. June 24th, 2014 to February 10th, 2016, if you submitted your application anywhere in that range, it could be processing. And it may be very well languishing. So um, why is it languishing? We covered it again because probably your occupation is a very popular one and the AINP wants to spread the cheer and the wealth around all industries and have a sampling from every industry the sampling from the occupations that are most important and are in demand in Alberta. Okay, I think you get it. I don't need to go any further other than to say that maybe uh, the three worst places to be for, the AI, for, for an AINP application is the international graduate category, the skilled worker category, and the postgraduate worker category. Although the postgrad worker category actually isn't too bad, it's, uh, there's over 750 in the queue there. So it's a little bit more reasonable. And applications submitted uh, January 28th of this year through to February the 10th are being looked at. So postgrad isn't too bad. It's really international grads and skilled workers that are really suffering. Okay, so what have we learned from these statistics is essentially that the worst possible candidate for the AINP is to be an international student working as a food service supervisor. You probably, it might be worthwhile to just give a shout out to the top 10 occupations uh, that are applying in the province. So if you're in one of these, eh, consider your nomination that it's going to take a long time 
and you'll need to govern yourself accordingly because if your work permit is expiring, you're running out of time and you're hoping that this nomination is going to be your ticket to be able to extend that work permit, well, think again. So here's the top 10 occupations. Number one, food service supervisor. Two, retail sales supervisors. Three, cleaning supervisors. Four, transport truck drivers. Five, retail salespersons. Uh, six, retail and wholesale trade managers. Seven, plasterers, drywall installers, finishers and lathers. Uh, eight, restaurant and food services managers. Nine, accounting technicians and bookkeepers. And rounding it off, number 10, administrative assistants. So if you're in one of those categories, you can pretty much expect that if you're applying through the international graduate category or the skilled worker category, it's going to be a long time. All right. Now let's jump to the next topic. I'm not sure if you're aware, but there is a significantly high number of AINP applications that are refused. In fact, over 50% of AINP applications are rejected. So many people ask, well, why is that? Okay, now this is a rejection, not returning them for being incomplete. The reason that after you've submitted it, it's been accepted, and then you ultimately get rejected, there's two main reasons. At least this is what Brad Trefan told us. One is that a candidate no longer has a work permit. So the reality is you can't rely on an AINP nomination anymore uh, with any degree of certainty to support a work permit extension. So if you're on an LMIA-based work permit and your employer, and this is really the second reason, there's been a downturn in the economy. So, so you, you lose your job. So there's two issues. One, your work permit can't be extended because your employer can't show that there is no Canadian to fill your job. There probably are because of the, eco the economy slowdown. And so that's one reason. If you don't or can't show that you have a valid work permit, then the AINP will refuse your application. So this is at the nomination stage. You could be in the queue for a year and a half and your employer says, I'm sorry, I can't get a new LMIA and therefore you'll be out of luck. So be aware of that. If you can't extend your work permit and don't anticipate having the ability to extend your work permit, there's a very significant chance that your AINP application will not go forward. You know, The downturn in the economy is such that you know even people, if you lose your job and you still have a valid work permit, well, often that work permit will only be for that one particular employer in that particular occupation. And so if you no longer have a job and your employer is no longer supporting your application, if that's the case with the AINP, that's another reason. Okay, next item. What happens, or I shouldn't say, I shouldn't ask this really in the form of a question. The reality is losing your job after the AINP nomination has been issued. So that's the next heading. So if you've lost your job after the AINP nomination has been issued and you have submitted your application for permanent residence, well, this could be a problem for you. The reality is the Immigration Act requires that an individual must be able to demonstrate the ability to economically establish themselves in Alberta. And so... That's one of the significant challenges that many, many people are dealing with right now. Because if you are unable to keep your job, if you're unable to show that you have a valid work permit, then it's pretty easy for the government to come back and say, well, 
are you really able to economically establish yourself in Canada? You know, are you actually able to do that? And if you are uh, not a holder of a valid work permit or you don't have an actual job, then surprise, surprise, that is going to be a ground for IRCC to refuse your application after you have filed it. So that's, a, that's an issue. That's a problem. So what does an AINP officer do when you lose your job? Well, the reality is they have, this is what Brad Trafan has told us, they have two weeks to try to work something out with the applicant and to defend the nomination with IRCC. So believe it or not, the AINP will try to work with you. And some of the things that they look at uh, are whether you're trying to make an effort to find new employment. And, you know, one of the other factors that they'll look at is what is the occupational outlook from an economic perspective for your job and your skill set. If your occupation has uh, weak prospects, then likely the chances are that the AINP will not allow your nomination to go forward. However, if your job is in an area where there's high demand, then it's much more likely the AINP will continue to support the nomination. It's important also to note that the government looks at these things in a holistic fashion. So if you're changing employers, and you're going from a skilled to a semi-skilled position, it could be a problem. So even in those circumstances, if you find a new job, but it's in a lesser position, well, then maybe that the AINP will not look as kindly upon that. However, if the demotion, you know, taking that lesser role is within the same industry, Brad Trafan said, there may be some leniency. So those are some factors to take into consideration. Ultimately, IRCC is turning down applications for people that don't have work. So be advised of that. Now, it's interesting, Brad also indicated that there is a slight increase in fraud, but this just reflects the fact that people really want to stay in Canada, you know, despite the economic downturn. All right. So let's move on to the next topic, a high degree of certificate wastage. So what does that mean? Well, apparently there's a lot of nominations that are issued, but they're never used. Why is that? Well, the applicants are also applying under express entry. And I can tell you from my perspective, if I have a candidate uh, or a client and they're looking at applying for permanent residence, I do not just rely on the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. Neither do I rely exclusively on express entry. So when an express entry application gets approved, then the AINP nomination is wasted. The federal government doesn't let the AINP reuse the certificates after they've been issued, even if the person doesn't land. So they're having discussions with the government around this, and maybe there will be some changes in the future. Okay, number seven. IRCC is challenging the nominations. Now, this is something I alluded to before. Immigration, Refugees, and Citizen Citizenship Canada is demanding that the candidate, when they apply for permanent residence, uh, demonstrate the ability to economically establish in the province. And, you know, that could be a PNP program through BC, through Saskatchewan, but in this case, through the province of Alberta. So if the person is unemployed, um, how can they defend 
the, you know, the, the, this situation? How is the AIP able to try to convince IRCC that the nomination should the nomination should continue forward if it's you know been seven months and the person doesn't have a job? So be aware. Even if you think you're through the gate, you're free and clear. IRCC is now starting to look at these more closely. And if you don't have a valid work permit or you don't have a, a current job, then it could cause everything to be unraveled and IRC could refuse the application. All right, now a couple other things. The AINP program, and this is number eight, is in the process of standardizing what they're doing. So they're looking at trying to modernize, a, modernize their database and there's a proposal, Brad indicated this, before the minister uh, on how they can better streamline the application process. One of the things he hinted at no surprise here that they're looking at online application forms. So they're shooting for this to happen by the end of the year. So that's 2016 or into 2017. So I guess we'll see. They're going the way of, of all immigration and to the online filing format, which if the program works, if the portal works, if the software works, then I'm all for it. But if it doesn't, it is a nightmare. All right, number nine. The future of the AINP's participation in Express Entry. Well, they're still looking at this. And maybe, just maybe, the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program may enter into the, uh, the process in 2017. However, if there's no enhanced allocations to what the AINP has already been given, so understand, every year they can nominate 5,500 people. Well, if that doesn't increase, then they're likely not going to be interested in participating in entry. And why is that, you might ask? Well, without that increase, who's punished? One thing that Alberta has going for it is that their program allows for semi-skilled workers to have a pathway to permanent residence. And if you're issued 5,500 allocations and the federal government says, look, we're not issuing you anymore. If you're creating a new express entry category, those nominations, that allocation has to come from somewhere. And if there's a fairly even split between skilled and semi-skilled candidates with respect to who gets these nominations, then it means some semi-skilled individuals are going to lose out on their opportunity for permanent residence because their nomination spot will go to essentially a skilled worker who is trying to expedite through express entry. Because understand, semi-skilled workers have no pathway through any federal program for permanent residence. Their only hope is through the provincial nominees that have participating low-skill or semi-skill categories. So Brad Fan, he and his department have been very resistant in giving up any of those 5,500 allocations that they previously had to open up an express entry category because it will negatively impact the semi-skilled categories unless the feds give them more nominations. So they've been lobbying for that. All right, the last one here is probably the most important for you. You have to expect that the AINP will close again in 2016. And I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Remember, every day they're getting 40 new applications. It is extremely likely that it's going to pause. And so the question is, why would they issue a general pause on all the categories versus maybe selecting out the ones that have the highest you know, the highest uh, degree of, of applicants in the queue. Well, when Bratcher fan was asked this, he stated that it's really all about fairness. 
And the fairest solution is to have a general pause because in this way, everybody is affected equally. You know, it's hard to go against that. Um, you can make arguments for, uh, you know, for why, you know, blocking one category is more important than another. But the reality is with what, you know, what Brad has rationalized there, everybody is affected equally. So there's the top 10. I hope it was helpful to you. Um, if you'd like to leave a comment for or a question for future podcasts, uh, just leave one in the comment section of the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. I'm happy to try and uh, respond to as many as I can. It, it is difficult. So if you don't hear from me, please, you know, please don't, uh, uh, you know, please, please don't curse me too badly. I do the best that I can to try to accommodate everybody. But occasionally, uh, some people I'm just not able to get back to to answer their questions. If you have a comment or a concern, please also leave that. Any suggestions for uh, future uh, people that you might like to see here on the podcast as a guest, because that is the direction that I'm looking at going. Uh, but ultimately, it has been just a pleasure once again to host this uh, episode 12 of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. your